So I um, have a newfound appreciation for all those who take care of little ones. <laughs> so if I have a slobber spot over here or snot over here, don't be distracted by that. We are taking care of a little 18-month-old for some friends that um, are doing a little vacation thing in Florida. And let me just tell you, that's hard work. I've forgotten, right? I've forgotten how hard it is. So I just amen to all of you all who are doing that. Great, great, great job. My kudos to you. I don't know how you get here on Sunday morning, but you do, and that's a good thing. Um, so I, um, I live in a continual mess in my life. And I want you to imagine that I have a bottle of chocolate over right here, right? And then a bag of coconut right here, and then a container of sour cream. And, and I'm just going to um, illustrate that this chocolate represents all the things that are going good in my life. And so, I mean, it would represent my wife, and so I would just douse a bunch of chocolate there. It would represent uh, my daughters. I just absolutely love my girls. And so we would dump a whole bunch of chocolate. And then, you know, I, um, there's just really nothing about chocolate I don't like. And then there comes coconut. So I kind of have this, um, I like coconut for the most part, but then there's certain things that I don't like coconut. So that's going to represent my son-in-laws. You know, there's certain part. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. I love my son-in-laws. But we're just going to put coconut in there as well, right, for those things that are good, you know, not so good. But then, then there's this thing called sour cream. And I know I know that I'm stepping on some toes because most of America, most of the world, most of you love sour cream. I do not. It's the absolute most despised thing on my palate. Amen. <laughs> There's a few amens. All right. So I have a fair amount of sour cream in my life. Uh, our oldest daughter, it was, um, I think, about five years ago when... She um, had a young girl, a young girl, had a baby, and they named her Brindley, and she um, had some issues during the pregnancy, and she lived all of 12 minutes on this earth. And so what I would do is I would just grab a whole big gob of sour cream and plop that right in the middle of the chocolate and the coconut. And, and then um, I would do it again because... I mean, that little girl, that Brindley, you know, would be five-ish today, and she would be hanging out at Grandpa and Grandma's house, and, we would, and I would get the opportunity to spoil that little girl, and it would just be a ton of fun. And then I would give her back and say, here, here's your child, all right? Um, she, our daughter then had, um, got pregnant again, and, um, and you're going to hear her story a little bit later, and, and that didn't work out. That little one um, didn't make it as well. So then they have tried the adoption route these last few years, and it just seems like there's been one, I mean, they've gone to the state where the birth mom is, and, it, and, and it's right at that moment when, you know, they were thinking that they were going to get the baby, the mom said, I'm going to keep it, which is the mom's right to do. But such a disappointment. So there's, I think, twice that happened. And then it just seems like it's been one failed thing after another. And so there's just 
a huge bunch of sour cream that's being put on that palate that amidst the chocolate, amidst the coconut, that is called my life. I mean, the this, this sour cream represents how I hurt for my daughter, but it also represents just the void that I feel that's left in my heart for us, that I want to pour out to um, grandkids because they are a ton of fun. Um, and I don't know, um, and so that's just my life. I live there all the time. And there's times that it's good and there's times that it's not good. And there's times that I, I see certain things and it just pricks at my heart. And there was one particular moment um, which happened almost a year ago um, here in November that my wife and I were in Florida and we were attending um, the Executive Pastors Conference for the Evangelical Free Church. And then we were going to go visit some friends in Jacksonville. So the conference got over with and we had some time between where we were in Melbourne to going up to Jacksonville. And so we decided to stop in Orlando and go to Disney Springs. And we were just walking around, and, and there was a show, the Cirque du Soleil, that was there, and we've never done that, so we decided, ah, we're just going to splurge, and we're going to go do it. And so we did. We bought tickets. We had some time to kill, and so we decided we were going to walk around. And, I mean, that's such a great place to just walk around, people watch. It's just so, so much fun. But there was moments, if I'm going to be honest, that my wife and I would, would see, right, families, and would see uh, the mom and dad and what seemed to be grandpa and grandma and all the kids, and they're doing their thing. And, and we really didn't say anything to each other, but we both looked at each other, and we knew what each of us was thinking. And we were just silent in that moment. But, I mean, there was just so much fun. How could you not have and just smile and rejoice in that? But there was one particular instance that caught me off guard. And it was, um, we were walking to go back to get ready to go to the show. <clears throat> and in Disney Springs, they have these information kiosks. And it's a pretty normal thing to see people gathered around there, right? So there was the dad, and there was um, probably his dad or his, his wife's dad with him. And the kids were just kind of, you know, weaving around. And, and I smiled because that was pretty cool. It's typical that the husband and the grandfather looking for directions, right, because we're directionally challenged. And then I glanced, and there was the mom, and she had a little baby, and that was, that was just really sweet. And then on the corner of my eye, I saw the grandma. And she had, um, was twirling with this little five-year-old girl. <sighs> and it's, I didn't think I would do this, but it, it's still tender to me right now. It just felt like when I was watching that, it just felt like somebody had just punched me in the gut. And I remember specifically that there was this um, battle that was raging and this depth that I've never, ever felt before and it was just at that moment where I wanted to cry out, This is just, I hate this. And I don't understand God. I don't know whatever. And, and I wanted to cry out that um, I am done 
I am done. And there was this battle raging on in my mind, saying, God, I don't understand. I don't think you love me. I don't think that um, you even like me. Uh, I don't think that you really want um, to be involved in my life. You seem distant. And on the other hand, there was this battle going, yeah, but Kev, you know that I love you, and you know that you can trust me, and you know, and you know, and you know. And this moment is interesting because this moment didn't last very long, but this is what was going on in my head, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I ended up resting on, yes, the choice I'm going to make is to know that you love me, even though it doesn't feel like you do, and I know that, I'm going to, that you're faithful and that you're good, and I'm going to trust in you. My wife didn't even know what was going on at that moment. I mean, that's not unusual because I always have a very stoic, blank face going on in my head, right? Um, and then the world unfroze, and it just seemed like everything started moving again. I don't know if it was the whining of the little kid, you've ruined my life because you didn't buy me this action figurine at Star Wars. I don't know what it was, but something brought me back. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have, no, I'm just kidding. I want grandkids. Um, but that's just what was going on, and then we... Um, I didn't tell my wife until later what had happened, and we enjoyed um, the show and went on with our day. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. That you... Um, have this mess. And there's a lot of good, but then there's a lot of yuck. And this battle rages between the two of do I really believe God? Or do I choose to believe that I can control, I can manipulate, I can do what I need to do to make myself happy. For me, if I hadn't been doing this, you know, clear from the beginning of when God took our little granddaughter home to be with him five years ago, if I hadn't been doing this and I'm going to share with you a tool that I, that I use and I, can, and I continually use that has helped me a little later on. But if I had been doing that clear up until that point, it would have been a lot longer. I probably would have been, I wouldn't have been able to enjoy um, the time with my wife like I was able to. And it would just have just been ruined a good chunk of my week. But because of something that I've been doing in my mind, this how to wage battle, how to wage battle, how to fight it. And the things that I need to do, um, it, 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 
it relatively, even, the, even though it was at the depth that it was, um, the Holy Spirit was able to help me pull out of that and to land on this, I, to land on this truth that I can trust my God. Here's what I know, is that all of us have messes, right? And, and all of us follow something or someone, and that all of us are in a battle. Here's what, here's what I want um, us also to know, is that this truth that in the midst of our mess, in the midst of, for me, that chocolate, coconut, and sour cream mess of my life that I live in every day, is that I need to begin to, I need to um, understand that God is still at work in my life in this mess. And that he's never promised that I would have a happy ending while on this earth. He may or he may not. But what he wants me to know is that he's still at work. I mean, look at this verse in Isaiah. When you pass through, through the waters, he's talking to the Israelite people. And he's saying, when you pass through the waters, I, God, will be with you. I mean, what great truth. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Truth again, when you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I will be with you. And that's where I land most of the time. In the midst of our mess, God is at work. In the midst of our mess, God is at work. And these are the things that I need to begin to remind myself. In the, in the midst of our mess, God is at work and we are extravagantly loved. And I'm going to put an, exclam uh, an exclamation point there. We are extravagantly loved, exclamation point. We are to follow Christ, exclamation point. And we are to fight back, exclamation point. So that's where we're headed this morning. And then I um, want to give you this tool. Um, it's interesting that... Um, as little children, right? And I want you to just hear this. What little children need is um, they can't understand what most of the decisions that mom and dad make for them, whether um, to allow this in their life or to disallow. They just don't understand necessarily, even when they're teenagers, why mom and dad may say no to something in their life. And it's not till later that we begin to understand, oh, that's why they did what they did. But early on, they don't understand. What they need to know, though, what they absolutely need to know from mom and dad is that you love me. That you love me unconditionally, whether I mess my pants at three in the morning or not. That you love me unconditionally as best as you can as Christ works in your life. 
and that I can trust you. And that is the exact same thing that we need from our God. And so how do we get there? How do we get there? And I believe that it comes from living from our, from our identity. We've talked about that a lot this fall, but we need to live from our identity. Right? This pattern for identity uh, flows from the truth about um, who God is. You've heard me say this, these multiple phrases many times. Who God is, what um, he has done, who we are, and then what we're to do. And while sin leads us to believe um, that our doing defines our being, um, through Jesus there's another way, that our, um, that our doing is going to flow from who we are, our being, in Christ. Because why? Because we are now new creations in Christ who have been given a new identity And so we need to be reminded um, over and over and over again what is true, what is right. Because when you're you're in the mess, when there's chocolate, coconut, and sour cream, and you're in this mess day in and day out, you can lose sight of what's true and what's right so quickly. And it can become so overwhelming. And so we need to understand that in this mess, we are extravagantly loved. I mean, in the book of Luke, in the Gospels, Matthew, Matthew Mark, and Luke, chapter 15, there's these three stories, right, that, that, that Jesus talks about, that the lost sheep and the lost coin and then the lost son. And in that, we begin to understand that our God loves the lost, That when someone who was lost is found, who places their faith in Jesus Christ, the scriptures say in Luke that the heavens rejoice, that the heavens rejoice when someone has been found. And so we begin to understand the depth that God loves the lost. And he wants them to be found. And then we see in in Romans um, in Romans 8, what I read earlier is that we are more than conquerors and that nothing, um, height, depth, breadth, whatever it is, nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. Do you, do you think that, uh, you know, in those three stories with the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, that if God would go to that great depth to find and to pursue the lost and for them to come, that he would say, all right, once you're in, I'm just going to let you go and do your thing. No, he doesn't. That that should reaffirm us again that God absolutely loves us. He extravagantly loves you. And we need to begin to believe and trust that in our life. In the mess, we are to follow Christ. We all follow something, right? In John 21, there's this beautiful story of uh, a disciple of Jesus called Peter. And we learn in the Gospels that Peter was one of these disciples that just always um, acted first before he thought. And right before Christ was crucified, he, Jesus said to him that you are going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I'm not. 
And, and yes, he did. And I imagine after that third time when he sees Christ begin ready to be crucified, that this intense shame, intense guilt came over him. And there had to be a lot of, um, what do I do with that? And who do I look towards? And then I'm so thankful that, that God chose to then uh, show us this reconciliation between Jesus and Peter. And in John 21, we, we see that story. And in that, we see Peter and a bunch, of his, a bunch of the disciples are going out on the boat to go fishing. And they're not catching anything. And in the morning, they see this guy on the shore. And this guy goes, hey, do you have anything to eat? Or is there any fish? And they go, no, we haven't. He says, all right, put your net on the, the right side and you'll catch. And so they did that. And just they caught a ton of fish that their nets right, were um, bulging. And John noticed that it was Jesus. And he, he says to Peter, it's the Lord who speaks to us. And what did Peter do? Remember, they were about 100 yards out from the shore. Peter, again, puts his outer cloak on. And he jumps out of the boat the second time. I don't know if he was thinking that Jesus might say, you'll walk on the water. But he jumped out of the boat, right? And he starts just whatever he's doing, swimming or running or whatever it is, to the shore because he wanted to get to Jesus. The rest of the disciples, you know, rode in. And um, then they get on the shore and Jesus goes, all right, let's go have breakfast. <laughs> it's amazing to me. And there's this beautiful dialogue between Peter and Jesus. And I want to get to that in John 21, verse 15, where it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at, at, at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And Peter saw him and he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow and so we begin to learn that, that Jesus, there's this reconciliation between Jesus and Peter, and he was letting them know that he is extravagantly loved. But in that extravagant love and in that redemption that was happening, the reconciliation that was happening, Jesus said to Peter, hey, no matter what happens and, and no matter what I do with anybody else, all I want you to do, all I want you to do is to follow me. And so we need not to forget that in the mess we can become so self-absorbed, but we need to remember that we're not only extravagantly loved, but we need to follow Christ in our mess. The third thing 
is in the mess we are to fight back. There's this passage um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are to fight back. When lies come at us, and our, and our battle is not a physical one, our battle is the spiritual kind, right? And we tend to forget that we're in the midst of an argument with our spouse, or in the midst of a, 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 a battle with our kids, or with somebody else in the church, or even just anybody outside of that. We tend to forget that our battle is not against flesh, but it's against the principalities and powers and the spiritual part of this world. And we need to fight back. We need to fight back this tendency, right, to believe lies. And so what do we do, right? We, we, um, we need to capture our thoughts. We need to examine our thoughts. As we capture our thoughts, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to bring them into submission to Jesus Christ and to the truths of the gospel. And so we ask questions like this, is this really true or is this a lie, whatever I'm believing? Does this sound like the devil's accusation or the spirit's correction in my life? What am I putting my hope in now, God's word or work or someone else's? And how do the truths of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection address the thoughts, this thought or belief, and what about Jesus do I need to remember right now? And so we take every thought captive, right, and we examine it. And then um, we begin to, we invite the Holy Spirit, right, to bring them into submission to Jesus. And then from there, as we submit to the witness and direction of the Holy Spirit in our life, um, will we experience the fruit of the Spirit as well? And so what we need to do is, are we to think through, all right, if I act on this thought or if I act on whatever this is, then will that bring me to the final um, destination of the fruit of the Spirit, right, which is um, love, joy, peace, and, and, and those things, self, self-control, goodness? Or is it going to bring me to the other list that's found in verses before that? And we need to begin to think through what kind of fruit, if I act on this thought or this action, is it going to produce in my life? Take every thought captive, um, invite the Holy Spirit to bring submission, consider the fruit, and then lastly is that the war is not a passive activity. The war of our mind is not a passive activity that we need to do this vigorous fight with the Spirit in our mind, right, to fight back against the lies that Satan wants to throw at us. And, 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 and Paul talks about in Galatians 6 that he gives us all the things that we need to wage this battle in our mind. And you can read that list at some point, Galatians 6, um, 10 through 18. That we are to fight back. 
And so when we think about, um, when we think about, this is this tool that, that I've been using. It's called this uh, fruit to root. And, and what we need to do is we need to begin to, um, I hope I can do this really quickly, is that we need to think through, think through what's going on, what kind of fruit is being exhibited in my life right now. Is it this um, fear of, Control, or is it uh, just fear in general, or anxiety, right, or worry? And then we begin to go down from there to this question of who am I? And so we begin to say, well, I'm not in control, and so we um, control. I'm not in control, but I would like to be. That's really where I'm at. That's really what I'm feeling. And then what has God done? And then we go, well, I believe that God has lost control of, um, of, of what's going on in my life, and what's going on with our children, and, and, and he's abandoned me. And so we begin to, that's what God has done, and he's lost control. And then we go on to, well, who is God then? And, and we begin to surmise that he is unloving. Right? Or he's impotent. He, does, he just can't, he's not powerful, and he's absent. And so that's what we do. We're working from the fruit that we're seeing down through these questions, and then it goes to the root, and it leads us to this word called repentance. And so that's the first half of this exercise. And so then we begin to go, and then we come back to this part, which we see this linking of the repentance again. And then now that leads us up, upwards. And now we begin to reconstruct. And so we've done this deconstruction, and now we're going to reconstruct. And we go with this word, well, who is God? And we begin, well, all right, he is love, right? He is love, and um, he is, um, I'm trying to, I can't even read my words here. He's powerful, right? He's love, he's powerful, and he's in control, and he's good. And so we begin to say that over and over to us. And then we go up. And well, what has, God, what has God done? Well, we know that Jesus Christ has died for me and he rose again um, from the dead. And I now have the Holy Spirit of God living in my life. And then we go up to then, well, then who am I? <clears throat> and then we come into this promise again. Well, if this is all true, then I am loved, right? I am loved and I am not alone. And I am more than a conqueror through him. We see that in the truth in Romans 8. And so then when we begin to go upwards to this tree, and we, we answer this question, who is God? And we answer this question, what has God done? And we answer this question, who am I? Then we're left with this choice of, am I going to believe that? And am I going to be obedient from that? And, and, and if that is true, then what's going to be the result is this, is that we are going to have peace in our life, and we're going to have joy in our life, and we're going to have love. <clears throat> and that's the exercise that I go through. That's the exercise that my wife and I go through. And I want you to know that it, um, sometimes it's, it's, it's maddening because there's times where I'll be going through something, and um, there was one instance in our house where I was working in the basement, and maybe I told you a story already, but I kicked, I was just so frustrated, and I just kicked something, 
And I didn't think anybody was there. And my wife was watching on the steps, and she goes, did you do the root to fruit yet, Kevin? <laughs> and I knew, and she said, well, who, who are you believing? What are you trusting in? And I knew she was right. And in, in my humanness, I was going, ugh. I didn't want to go through it, but I couldn't. I, had, I went through it that quickly, and I knew that I was wrong, and I knew what I needed to do. And that's what this will do. It forces us, right, to deconstruct what we're believing and then reconstruct what we know to be true in God's word. And then it is whether I choose to believe it or not. My daughter, well, that's the whole thing, right? My daughter, um, I had the opportunity to uh, do a testimony with her, and um, I want to show that to you because um, even though it's not exactly like this fruit to fruit, she has worked through that, and she does a good job of explaining it. So I want you just to watch this video. Parents are Kevin and Janet Andrews. I grew up in Kearney E. Free and in Kearney, and I moved to Aurora when I married my husband, Jonathan, which will be seven years ago in December. Life kind of took some crazy turns for us. A little over four years ago, um, we had a little girl named Brinley, and she lived for 12 minutes and then went home to be with Jesus. So um, that kind of threw us for a loop, and we were just kind of at a crossroads with life. Um, we decided to wait about a year and then found out we were pregnant again and ended up having an ectopic pregnancy with that baby and so we lost that baby as well. Um, took some time to kind of grieve through that process and then uh, just really felt God leading us towards adoption and so we've been in the adoption process for a little bit over two years now and in that time I've had several setbacks with that. We've had two adoptions um, fall through and just kind of have run through the run through the gamut and experienced a lot of roller coaster emotions with that process growing up i kind of always thought that um, like obedience to god equaled blessing from god so i always kind of strove to do the right things or follow the right path um, because I thought that was the way that I was going to get blessing from God. I thought that if I, um, you know, followed the right structure for dating and marriage and then having, getting pregnant, that, um, that that would protect me from anything bad happening to my children. That that would secure the kind of life that I thought, you know, I wanted and I dreamed of. But through our experiences, my view of God has really been challenged and has really changed. I remember sitting in the house in, um, in the city that we were in for the adoption and just sitting out on the back little porch going, God, I feel like I have no clue who you are. I feel like I've never known you. I grew up hearing all about you, but I literally feel like I do not know you at all um, because I just, really just felt at this really deep raw place that um, a lot of the things of the head knowledge I had, a lot of what I believed didn't hold up in the fire. It was kind of at that point that I just 
decided, okay, I need to do a heart check and just figure out why I'm doing the things I'm doing. Why am I, you know, why am I going to church? Why am I a part of Bible studies? Why am I doing these things? Is it because I feel like if I do them, then God's going to bless us with a family? Or am I doing them because that's where my heart's at and that's my community and my fellowship? And when I'm really, truly honest, my heart was doing those things because I wanted people to think I was okay. Thankfully, with the Holy Spirit, you know, we, we can work through that and struggle through that, but um, just really found myself at this place of tension and really just craved a real God. I remember telling a friend of mine, I want to know God like I know the breath in my lungs, like I feel the blood running through my body. I want to feel God in my bones, like I want Him to be so real to me that I can get through anything. While God is good, we also suffer. And while not all of that makes sense, um, trusting that somehow it all works together for good and it's all you know, in God's sovereign plan and being okay with not understanding it. One thing that I found through all of the experiences we've been through in the last several years is just that God really cares. God's after our hearts and He's not so much interested in how well we do things. He's interested in where our hearts are at. And so that's been encouraging to me because I've had a lot of really not pretty days with um, struggling through all of these emotions and all of this grief and this loss and this um, just not understanding what's going on. And But at the end of the day, knowing that as long as I'm continuing to give God my heart, whatever that looks like, that's where I need to be. That's the place that I need to be at and that's what He's after. And the blessing doesn't come in the rules. The blessing doesn't come in the doing the right things all the time. The blessing comes in the relationship with Him. It was sometime a few months ago, I was just sitting in my bed at night and just this um, kind of, I don't know, thought popped into my head and I wrote it down on my phone. Real faith is forged in the tension. We shy away from it because it's uncomfortable. It's unreconcilable. It feels awkward and out of control, which it is. But that is where the real true faith is built. In those moments when you don't have all or really any of the answers, why is not a question you can even begin to answer or make sense of. You know God is able, but you also know his plan is not the same as your plan. And you say, I know my God is able to, to deliver me from this fire, but even if he does not, I will still praise him. So that's kind of where my heart's at right now. Um, just every day, just trying to get to that place where I say, God, even if you do not, you are still my God and I will still praise you. And that's honestly a struggle. That's not easy to say every day, but, um, but I feel like that's where we need to be is just, you know, even if, he do, even if he does not, you are still God and he is still great and um, we will still praise him. You know, as a dad, um, that was filmed a year ago. And I want you to know that, I mean, as a dad, uh, you know, we have this mentality that we can, I want to be able to put a, a Band-Aid over her hurt, but I can't, right? She has to walk through that herself. And, you know, it's not a, a one and done type of thing. It's a continual battle. I mean, just this past week, I attended a funeral on Monday, and I felt in my spirit that I needed to 
call my daughter and just have lunch with her. And it was a good thing I did because she was just struggling again. And it was just a point where I just had lunch with her and I just sat and listened and then gently just reminded her again of some truths. And that's what we all need, right? And so we go to that last part. Um, what about your story? And your mess? And what do you do with that? And so I wanted to invite us this morning as we're singing this last song that you can stay seated, you may stand, you may spread out, whatever you need to do. But to really begin to listen, right? I hope, I pray that the Holy Spirit's been um, just poking at you this morning. And I want you to uh, acknowledge that, or I would pray that you would acknowledge that and then be obedient to that, submit to that, confess that if you need to. And we have prayer partners that are waiting to pray with you, and I would love to pray with you as well. But if you need to do that during this song, I would ask that you would do that. Um, if, you need, if you know that you're not where you need to be with Christ and you need to give your life to him, I pray that you would do that as well. So let's worship.